Fantastic. In just a little bit, Lori's going to come up and read a scripture, but I'm going to make you guys do a quiz. Are you ready for this quiz? If you know the answer, just go ahead and shout it out or whatever. You know, don't hurt each other, but you know. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a TV. One of these, these, these are characters or shows from TV. I'm going to give you the family or whoever it is, and you have to tell me who the, the famous neighbor is, okay? Like Tim the Toolman Taylor, his famous neighbor is? Kramer. All right, you guys are good. How about the, the Winslow family from Family Matters? <laughs> Just, I'm messing with you. I actually thought to myself before I did this, I'm going to have to tell Isaac not to say it so loud. <laughs> Just kidding. It's good to have you, Isaac and Becky. Good to see you guys. Okay, how about Kevin from The Wonder Years? Winnie. I heard Winnie over there. Good, good, good. Yes. How about the Cleavers? Eddie Haskell. Everybody needs Eddie Haskell for a neighbor. Wow. How about Ricky and Lucy Ricardo? Fred and Ethel Mertz. Oh, and everybody needs a neighbor like them too, right? How about Fred and Wilma Flintstone? So you guys are getting into this now, aren't you? Mary Tyler Moore or Mary Richards. Rhoda. You know her last name? Morgan Stern, wow, you're good. Okay, one more. This one's a little tricky. This goes back a little ways. How about Ralph and Alice Cramden? Some of you know. That's right, Ed and Trixie Norton. You guys are good. Fantastic. Lori's going to come and read a scripture in just a second. Let me just say this. In this, go ahead and come on up, Lori, and we'll get you a... You got the mic? Oh, she's got it. In this room are all kinds of stories of good neighbors and bad neighbors. We could all sit here and tell stories about that today. And everyone has a neighbor that you've forgotten, and there's other neighbors that you'll never forget. But this morning, I just want us to dive into and, and just begin to look at, for the next few minutes, this, this, real, this original mandate by Jesus, which is embarrassingly simple. Embarrassingly simple. He says, love your neighbor. It's easy. So we're going to look at that and see what keeps us, what, how do we do that, how do we get there? Some of the roadblocks and things that we have. But before we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand with us because we're going to read the amazing, precious word of God. And as we do, I just want you to stand with us as Lori reads this scripture to us. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Thank you, Lori. God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Thank you for respecting and honoring the word of God together with us. Are you, are you a good neighbor? You know, State Farms, they seem to think that they got it all figured out, right? You know you're thinking that. I'm, you might as well just get that tune in your head, like a good neighbor. There you go. I should get some kind of kickback for that. I really should get some money for that. For those of you that work at State Farm, yeah, anyhow. You know, Mr. Rogers, you know, amazing neighbor. Everybody loves Mr. Rogers. Um, but the truth.
truth is, I'm just going to go ahead and make this confession right at the very beginning. I know Pastor Zach says I'm very friendly, but the truth is I don't really always feel like I'm very good at neighboring, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm not as good as I'd like to because the problem is, is I tend to be a little bit spiritually farsighted. Maybe you're kind of like me on that, and that is I'm really good at seeing things far away, but sometimes I'm not so good at seeing stuff that's right in front of me. I think guys tend to deal with that more than anybody else. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I'm a very nice neighbor. I think when people like yesterday, I talked to my neighbor, and he was over there boiling crawfish. And we're talking about that. You know, I'm nice. I'm talking to him. Hey, what's up? Hi. All that kind of stuff. I just met a neighbor a couple weeks ago who's uh, a professor here at Purdue. And, you know, I'm, I'm nice. But you know what? The truth is I don't feel like I'm good. And, I, and I'll explain that to you. Why? Why is being a neighbor so important? Because here's why. And we're going to look at the scripture here in Galatians. Everything, every, I mean, when I say everything, everything in the Old Testament can be summed up right there. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5, verse 14, we'll go ahead and show you this scripture. It really sums it up. It says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty big. <laughs> Sum up the whole Old Testament. There you go. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's, you see the weight of that? That's big. And so, you know, it really captures my attention, especially as our pastor has been talking about being world changers and being part of the great rescue. And so, you know, as we think about that, you know, we really got to get good at neighboring. We got to get better at this. And, and, and I'm saying me, right? I'm really appointed to myself. I really, Lord, help me to be better at this. Um, because you notice here in Ephesians, he doesn't even mention love the Lord to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the truth is, you know this, if you love your neighbor, you're loving God. So that's why he sums it all up in that verse. Galatians 5.14 just can't get any more simple. So what I want to do is just give you three actions or three um, challenges this morning. The first one I want us to do together, and I'm gonna, uh, we're going to tour our neighborhood. So first thing you, we need to do is take a tour of your neighborhood. Think about, as, as I say neighborhood or where you live, that, you know, those, that word pops up in your mind. What, what's your neighborhood like? I, I go back to Groves Road in Lima, Ohio. Some of my fondest memories ever in Groves Road, Ohio, because we had this great, you know, and, and back then, this is in the 70s, our neighborhood, you know, we, we all hung out. All the kids hung out, and we watched each other they're each other's kids and dogs, and when they went away on vacation, we just took care of their yard. Nobody, we never had to ask them to do that. We just did that. That's, that's what neighbors did, right? If you, I remember if we were out playing, um, if one mom called their kid in, we all went in to eat. Does anybody remember that? And it's like, sometimes you get a couple meals a night. It was awesome. And, and it's true. In our house, we had a big bell, and, we, and you, they would ring the bell because there was 300 acres behind us. And, and we played in that. And so that's, when we heard that bell, we come running. That meant food, you know. It's like Pavlov's dog. We just start salivating. <laughs> food. Um, but, you know, we, we came in to eat. And, you know, there's tons of kids. And, yeah, we bickered. We fought. I remember hitting my uh, neighbor Billy in the back with a big wiffle bat one time. Mom came to my house. It was a great day. Uh, you know, those kind of things. We played we play tree tag. And if you never, tree tag's awesome. We've, we, in the wintertime, we put water on our chicken. We had a chicken coop in our house. We put water on the floor to freeze it so we could ice skate and play hockey in the chicken coop. Problem is, you got poles in the middle of the chicken coop, and that, that did damage every once in a while. You know, I remember we, there was the Ottawa River, and we hunted for arrowheads down at the Ottawa River. In the summer, we rode our bikes two miles to Long's Quarry, where we swam all day long. It was amazing. And, you know, we played baseball in our backyard, and we caught fireflies. It was just, that's, that's what I grew up with. That's my old neighborhood. Some of you know. Anybody had an old neighborhood kind of sort of like that? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I wanted that. You know, some of us are longing for that because I, I fast forward to today and I think about my neighborhood 
and you know, and you know, I can still actually. I'm thinking. I still remember the uh, the the Wrens and the Baileys and the Rowers that lived on Grove Road. We we knew each other's names. You know. Fast forward today to our current neighborhood, and there's houses and people all around me that I don't even know. Everywhere there's people, houses, kids. Uh, we're nice. We say hi. What's up? How's it going? We wave at each other. You know, as they're walking dogs or mowing their yard or whatever. But let me just say it this way. Being nice is not exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said love your neighbor. He didn't say be nice to your neighbor, be polite. He said love your neighbor. So let's take a look at that. Are you, are you, just keep looking at this. You know, and, and I know for me, I, I'm, another confession, and, and I hate to do this, but you know, I, how do you feel when your doorbell rings? I'm going to, okay, confession, I go, oh, who's at the door? You get the door. I don't answer the door. Probably some snotty kid wanting Girl Scout cookies or something. Uh, not really. I don't really say it like that. But if I do have to get up the door, then I'm nice because they know I'm a pastor. You've got to be nice. Hey, hey, what's up? Mean old pastor opened the door. You know, so, you know, some, I am, sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, because, you know, it's not always, you're not, you don't always think it's going to be a pleasant. That's just maybe some of the cynicism that, that has crept into our culture. It used to be when the doorbell rang, yeah, let's all go to the door, but not anymore. You know, so I think about that. We're nice, but I don't think we're good. Are you with me on that? Why is this so important? Jesus, because Jesus demonstrated the spirit of neighboring better than anybody else. Jesus is amazing, a neighbor. And he shows us who God is and what he's like by the way that he was a neighbor. He reveals himself most to us in relationships. Amen? And he has come to bring forth those kinds of relationships and restoration relationships. And really, uh, the core of his ministry was done in neighborhoods. Read through the New Testament. You'll see the core of his ministry was done in neighborhoods. You remember Zacchaeus? You guys know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Tax collector. This guy was excluded from religious groups. Nobody liked being around him. He wasn't your kind of guy that you just went and hung out with. Jesus was different because the truth is Jesus was more accepting to those outside the church than he was inside church. You ever notice that? He's really good at accepting those outside of the church. That, that's just what he did. So he comes and he sees him in a tree and he said, I must stay at your house. He didn't say, hey, come go with me to connect, you know, Connection Point Church. He says, I have to go to your house. He's a, he was a great neighbor. I just wanted to go hang out with him at his house. You know, we're really good at inviting people to church, but there's a difference between, let me, let's go to your house. Let's hang out. Let's have fellowship, right? So the core, of his neighbor, the core of his ministry was in neighborhoods. You see this here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, where Jesus, it says Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting on a, at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus at his and, and his disciples. Think about that picture. I like that part. As Jesus reclined at the table, which means he was just chilling, having a good time at the table, more people came. So, you know, you, you know the story. Jesus says, come, follow me. And, and he comes and he gets up and he follows and, and he's having dinner. You know, why? Um, and, and, where do you, and you see here, where does he follow him? To his home. His home. That's where he's going to his neighborhood, all of a sudden tax collector shows up. Why? Because that's other tax collectors live in the neighborhood. So, you know, that's where Matthew lived. He lived in the neighborhood with other tax collectors. You know what I'm talking about. And what, the reason I, I bring that up is because notice that so many times, I, I know that we, it, it's easy to do, it's comfortable to do, I get that, but so many times we segregate ourselves in church. We, kinda, we like to create isolation and the truth is, a lot of times, we, if we do, 
if we do everything in what I call, I'm just going to use the term, if we do everything in these Christian ghettos, is what I like to call them, we miss God's whole intention of relationships in the neighborhood. It's comfortable to be in the Christian ghetto. It's comfortable to be here with your friends and neighbors, and we do our member care time, and you see people that are smiling. That's a great place. But the truth is, um, the Lord's calling us to be in neighborhoods, especially with like Jesus, especially hanging out with people who don't know them. I know it's not comfortable. I know it's not the easy place, but that's, that was the mission of Jesus, right? And I, is there dysfunction out there? Yes. Is there dysfunction in our own families? Yes. You know, I, I, you guys know I grew up in a Catholic family, and I remember my dad with his 12 brothers and sisters, and every time they got together, it was just like, I, it took me a while as a kid to get it, but it was just like this all-out war and arguing, but they loved each other because we're blood, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, but notice, though, what happens even as Jesus gets out in the middle of these neighborhoods and, and neighborhoods, uh, people that aren't your people that go to church, miracles happen. It's kind of interesting. Look at this. As a matter of fact, the miracles, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it this way, and you can form your own ideas. I believe that the miracles were secondary and accidents to Jesus being in the home. Jesus being in the home was really what it was all about. The miracles were just secondary and accident. We, we, that's where, that gets our attention. But we've got to remember, he's in their house. Okay, look at this verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 39. And he rose and he left the synagogue, entered Simon's house. What's he doing there? He just, he's going to Simon's house. He just, that's what he does. He hangs out with people. He hangs out in neighborhoods. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill and, and with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and he left her. And immediately he rose, she rose and began to serve him. Why did Jesus go there? It was the relationships that drew him there. It was the relationships that drew him to those places, right? So, you know, and hey, as long as, long as you're here, Jesus, Peter says, why don't you come over here and pray for my mom? So the, I, I think that the miracles were accidents or secondary to the fact that Jesus, you know, the first miracle, turning water into wine. What's Jesus doing? You know, he's, he's at this wedding. How did he get there? His mom took him. This is his neighborhood. I mean, in the neighborhood, he just said, hey, we got a wedding. Let's get together. we got a wedding. It wasn't like they said, hey, you know what? We need somebody to turn water into wine. Call Jesus. We need a miracle. So call Jesus and have him. Nothing's better than having somebody like him come to the party. So call the miracle maker and tell him to come to the party. You guys know that's not the story. He's there, and, and the miracle happens. Why? Because he's there doing community with people. He's hanging out with people, right? It's secondary to relationships. And I like to say it this way. All relationships, are you ready for this? This one might hit you a little hard. Relationships are a lot more effective than church programs. We do really, I mean, I feel like we really work hard and we got a great vision and God's got some amazing things in store. But I'm going to tell you what, if you really want to get things done, it's not all, that we, there's not a church program that we can come up with that will do better than you making relationships with your neighbor. That is the church program. That, that is the mission. That is the purpose of Jesus. It's, it was central to the movement of Jesus. It's the DNA of the early church. That's why we're supposed to be here. So first of all, we take a tour of your neighborhood. Just think about your own neighborhood and how God's placed you in that neighborhood and how awesome it is that he's placed you there. Second thing I want you to do is tear down the fences. Number two, tear down the fences. Now, if you've just recently built a fence, Dan Gaines, don't take this wrong. I know you just spent a lot of time and money on that, Dan. Uh, but we're talking, you know, here, the heart, okay? Um, uh, but tear down the fences. Notice this verse here, Luke 10. 
As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you care, not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Mary was very intentionally present in this situation here. She's there. And, and you know how it is sometimes when you talk to people and you're semi-talking to them and you're looking at them and you're kind of listening out of this ear and you're looking and, and, and you're kind of looking at your phone. Uh-oh, wait a minute, I'm meddling. You know, you look at your phone and, oh, yeah, it's, you know. There's a challenge today. I think we all know there's a challenge to keep dialogue today. Am I right? If, you know, um, and the truth is, you know, it is, it is time. It, it's, it's difficult. that We have these barriers that kind of keep us sometimes in, you know, Martha had this barrier. She was consumed with what was going on. Our first fence that we have to tear down is this thing called time. Time. T-I-M-E. Time. Martha is distracted. She's getting things ready. Great for her. She's doing a great job. You got, somebody has to do that, right? She's getting things ready. And, but have you noticed, am I the only one to notice that our culture values activity more than relationship? And Jesus, you know, you know, when we do that, when we talk to people, hey, and you meet them for the first time, what do you do for a living? You know, we want to know what they do. We get caught up in tasks, and, and sometimes we're not attentive to relationships. I mean, when you're talking to somebody and your phone vibrates in your pocket, what do you do? The truth is we can all wait four or five minutes till the end of that conversation, can't we? But that's just who we are. We're, we're very distracted because we're just, but listen, we need to remember relationships are key. And I'm guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. Even on my day off, sometimes I'm looking, and I know I shouldn't be because the most important relationship I should be concentrating on is my family. But, you know, texts come in, emails come in, things I got to do, right? I, you know, important. I got things I got to do. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just turn that stuff off and let our time be focused on the people around us and our relationships. Am I right? Say amen or oh me. Okay, there. Thank you. Um, and technology does that. Sometimes, you know, and they said, you remember back when technology started going, they said, hey, this is going to help us. <laughs> Doesn't always help, am I right? You know, Netflix, I don't think, is always a great thing. Um, but anyhow, we won't go there. I'm, I'm meddling too much. We need time. We need time with our kids. But let me just put it to you this way. Don't let culture drive you when it comes to time. It says in Psalm 20, 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we, that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's something about honoring the time the Lord's given you and using it for the right things, right? Second fence that we have, there's time is, is a big fence that keeps us from really encountering our neighbors the way we should. And number two, the second fence is fear, fear. Matthew 5, 46 and 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Does this kind of mess you up? I mean, it sounds kind of boring to, to some degree. Jesus says, if you're in Christ, show hospita hospitality like Christ. And it's so easy just to go, oh, yeah, 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 right? But let me just say it this way. Hopefully, it's getting louder and more clear. Loving your neighbor is Jesus's game plan for changing the world. Can I say that again? Loving your neighbor is Jesus's game plan for changing the world. You invite everybody together, get the press together and say, we're going to show you. Jesus is going to tell us our game plan. He's going to change the world. World, world. Sorry. 
And, and everyone's got their notes out. Videos are rolling. And Jesus says, love your neighbor. Wow. Really? Yes, love your neighbor. That's his game plan for changing the world. Truth is, we all know that. Sometimes it's easier, you know. If we're really honest, can I just say, I'm, this is honesty day for me because I, as I write this, I have to be honest and say this. I, the truth is, we all really want Jesus to show up for the people that we like. You know what I'm talking about? But what about the neighbor that you don't like? What about the people whose backgrounds and religions we don't agree with? What do you do with that? Right? Jesus said it this way. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. Jesus identifies himself as a stranger to be taken in. That's how he identifies. How do we do with people who are strange, whose backgrounds don't match ours, whose whose theory, you know, and all the, and whose lives are a mess and different. And it's easy for us to pray for those that we want for Jesus to show up, but do we really pray and expect him to show up for those that we just, we don't get, we don't understand, whose backgrounds are different than ours? I could go through and show you several scriptures, and you can write them down, they're there in your notes, but even, you know, you'll, you'll see even our country and how we respond to foreigners. And, and Ezekiel 47 has a word about that, so does it. Leviticus chapter 19 talks about this. But we have to, here's the bottom line behind those scriptures. We have to treat those people who, who are not even of the faith as God treats them. Amen? Treat them like the creation of God. He has a plan for them. Time and fear are a deadly, deadly cocktail that prevent us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. if we're really honest. Love, or excuse me, time and fear are a deadly cocktail. And it's, it's difficult. So we have to get better at this. Amen? I'm saying this to me, Jim, you've got to get better at this. So number three, the last point is this. And I'm asking you to do this with me this morning. Would you make an intentional commitment to become a good neighbor? Take a moment this morning. I'm, I'm, that's what I want us to conclude here with in just a moment. To take a moment to look at our lives and see where we're falling by, behind in our commitment to love our neighbor. Because it's everything. Like I said, Galatians 5.14, that's God's game plan. Hospitality is a kingdom of God value. It's huge. I mean, Martha was awesome. She opened up her, li- her home. That was great. She opened up her table. So don't, don't diss Martha too much. She did do the right. Because the table really is the heart of the kingdom of God movement. I mean, really, if you want a focus point, the table. Not the church here. It's not in here. It's the table out there with people who don't know Jesus. That's the heart of the kingdom of God movement. Your table with people under it who don't even know Jesus, who don't even agree with you, whose lives are a mess, who, are, who, who need him desperately, that's the heart of God. Amen. I love that. But Jesus says it this way, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. John chapter 21, verse 12, and this is talking about Jesus after he'd resurrected. He said to them, come and have breakfast. He sees the the disciples kind of went back to fishing. Jesus is gone. They're like, what do we do? They went back to fishing. Jesus shows up and says, hey, come and have breakfast. None none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They they knew it was the Lord. But notice, you know, what does Jesus say? Hey, guys, come and have breakfast. Table. Jesus is all about the neighborhood, the table, getting together, fellowshipping, get around the table, let's talk. Luke talks about that, another, another portion of scripture, that same kind of scene there says, when he was at the table with them. Again, they, they were walking with Jesus. Then he knew it was him. And all of a sudden, they, he, he, they thought he was going to go further. And all of a sudden, they said, hey, come on in. 
And they invite him in. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to him, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him where? At the table, at the table, at the table, doing fellowship, opening up their heart, and then he vanished from their sight. So we have to be intentional about making time and being a neighbor. Let me just say this. Jesus was interruptible. That's what makes him a really good neighbor. That's called loving your neighbor. He was interruptible. And I, say, and I go like this. Jim, you've got to be willing to be interrupted. I'm going to share one more scripture, and then our worship team is going to come, and our prayer team in just a moment. We're going to respond to this. But let me just share one more scripture. I think this is powerful because what I want to do is just kind of show you really quick, specifically, what loving your neighbor looks like. Jesus crossed again into the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and he seeing him, he fell on his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may also be made well and live. He went with him. You see that? Jesus was interruptible. He went with him. What would you do? What would we do? Well, you know what? talk about that tomorrow. Right now, i got to take my kids to soccer practice, or i got to, you know, he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, spent all that she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garments, for she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? He was never in too much of a hurry. That's loving your neighbor. He was interruptible. He was not in a hurry. Anytime you make yourself available to somebody, you lose energy. Notice, he perceived power went out of him. That's loving your neighbors when you're willing to let energy, the energy that it takes to love your neighbor, to go out of your way, to be interruptible, to, to, to overcome time and fear. That takes energy. But that's loving your neighbor. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have a pace in our life right now, my brothers and sisters, that allows us to be available to those around us? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. Do I have a pace in my life that allows me to love other people around me? And so that's, those are some things. Those are a few. There's more, but I'm I just hoping that somewhere in there captures your attention. So as we close this morning, I'm going to ask our worship team to come and also our prayer team to come at this moment. And as I look at this and, and, you know, and, and, I, and as we talk about all these things and you see the real heart of the kingdom is, is built around the table and all these things, um, some of you this morning have waited your whole life for Jesus to show up and say, I want to come and be, uh, I want to come and eat with you. You've never ever sensed that Jesus is that neighbor who is, listen, Jesus is not in a hurry. He's not worried about how much energy it takes to come and encounter you this morning. He's not worried about that. He loves you. He has time for you. In this very moment, he's not too big. He's not too much in a hurry. So before we present a challenge to everybody in this room, I just want to extend an invitation to any one of you here this morning that says, I've been waiting to come to Jesus' table to eat for a long time. I have been eating at the wrong table with the wrong crowd. My life is a mess. I have been waiting for Jesus to say, come. So I'm going to invite all of us to stand together as we close this morning. And if if that's you this morning, you're saying, yes, (laughs) I have been waiting for an opportunity for Jesus. He's been knocking on my heart. And all you have to do is say, come, and he'll come in and eat with you. He'll be with you. He'll be your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you. 
and you'll become your very best friend, your very best neighbor. We have wonderful people here that would love to pray with you. But first of all, I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes. And you're here this morning and say, I have been waiting for Jesus to knock on my door. And today's the day that the most, most amazing neighbor in the world is knocking on your door saying, let me in. Let me come in and eat with you. Let me be everything to you. If that's you and you want us to pray this morning for you and you want to find Jesus, would you raise your hand this morning? You've been waiting your whole life. If that's you, please just slip up your hand. Let us know. We'd love to pray with you this morning. He has time. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. He has time for you. He's never in a hurry. He has time for you. He's never in a hurry. We're not in a hurry, are we, church? Jesus is calling. Anyone else? You say, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my life. I have been waiting a long time. There's another hand. God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you this morning. going to invite these to come forward. We have some people that are going to pray with them and give them some information and we're going to invite them. But is there anyone else before we challenge the rest of us to respond to this message? Is there anyone else that would like us to pray with you this morning? Up in the balcony, anywhere. For those of you who raise your hand, I'm asking you to do the most amazing thing. Jesus has been knocking. Now you just have to open the door walk through would you take a brave step and just slip out in the aisle and come right up here to my left you'll see jennifer down here and she would love to take you and spend some time with you and pray with you please would you just take that extra bold bold step your church family here loves you and supports you would be thrilled as you come to open up your heart to jesus bless you as we leave for the next just a few minutes, I know we're maybe just a, a hair bit over, but that's okay. Relax, right? We're just going to scroll some thoughts here, and I'm going to ask you, I believe that there's one thing that I said this morning that probably has challenged you. Don't take all of these in as a challenge, but there's going to be one thing that we're going to show you here on the screen that I'm going to ask you to personally say, yeah, that's me. The others are great, they're wonderful, but I think there's probably just one thing the Holy Spirit wants you to respond to. So as you take a tour of your neighborhood, you know, number one, taking a tour of your neighbor. Who, who is your neighbor? Do you know your neighbor's names? Where do you see God in your neighborhood? Who breaks, what, what breaks his heart in your neighborhood? If you feel there's something about your neighborhood you feel drawn to, pray for eight houses or apartment or living spaces this week to those closest to you. Maybe the Lord's calling you to say, hey, the least I can do is pray for those eight people that are closest to me. Or number two, or introduce yourself to two or three neighbors this week. Maybe just one neighbor, but introduce yourself to a neighbor. But get into your neighborhood. Second thing, tear down the fences. What neighbors are difficult to get along with? We have those. What in your life is robbing you of time that you need for relationships? Is there any fear in reaching out to difficult neighbors? So maybe this week, sit outside of your home. Take the time to say hi to people. Get to know them. Shake their hand. Take a dozen cookies to a neighbor that you have not been getting along with or you maybe you just have been ignoring or you just don't know them. Write a handwritten note telling your neighbor that you're praying for them and tape it to their door. Wow, people need that. 
<laughs> what would you do? You'd be like, whoa, thank you, Jesus. Number three, make an intentional commitment to become a good neighbor. Who gets invited to your table? Who does not? Do you struggle to invite people in your home? What needs in, uh, yes in your life and what needs a no? Maybe the Lord calls you to host a coffee and dessert night in your home. Pray, pray walk your neighborhood. Take a time and just walk your neighborhood and pray over your neighborhood or invite a neighbor to dinner. Those are some, those are some things we can do to help be, to be the neighbors we're supposed to do. So I'm gonna just be quiet for the next 60 seconds and Shanna's gonna scroll those videos or those slides and just look at them one more time and say, Holy Spirit, I can do that. And you commit to do at least one thing on one of these slides. 60 seconds. of his plan. That's his plan. Simple. It's neighboring 101. But that's the plan of God in this hour for this world. We're going to close, sing a song, and as we sing this song, don't just sing the words, but let your heart just give back to the Lord. Say, Lord, I commit to do whatever it is you said you're going to do this morning. Do two things. Worship him, and then seal that commitment before the Lord as we just close in this song together that he has made us glad.